0: What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelley Metling. With four angel babies myself and two rainbow babies here on Earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. And before we begin, huge shout out to the Radis fam on the internet. At the lamb fam for supporting the sponsors who support our show so we can continue to provide this weekly for free. Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, whose mission is to make professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere, and they offered us life after miscarriage gals, guys, and our couples 10% off their first month when using the link betterhelp.com L-A-M. Now let's get into today's episode. Hello everyone, we have Sarah Zarb on today's episode. I am so excited, you guys, this is an update episode. Sarah was on episode 133, which was aired on January 15th of 2020. So we are about one year later. And Sarah, if you could just kind of fill us in on where we left off and then what's happened since.
1: Certainly, thank you so much for having me again. Uh, this year has definitely gone by really fast. Can't believe it's been a year. Uh, so where we left off is uh, my husband and I suffered our first miscarriage in October. And my doctor had placed me on birth control for a couple months to um, realign real, uh, my uterus as well as kind of get my cycles more normalized so that my husband and I could try again and we were also beginning to look at using Ovusense, which um, is a device that helps track your core body temperature. And I would highly suggest anybody take a look at using this product if they're not really sure when they ovulate in their cycle, um, because it was really helpful for us to kind of understand that we did. I didn't have a normal cycle, and I actually ovulated more towards cycle day 26 through 30, as opposed to your standard 14 through 17. So my husband and I purchased this device that you wear internally every night um, and then you record the, you sync the recording into your phone every morning. And we started using that device in January um, just to kind of see where my cycles are at and what to expect. And we actually found out that um, my body actually tries to ovulate about three different times in the cycle and then it will finally, you know, get it right the third time. So it was kind of interesting to learn, you know, what my body was doing and, you know, when we could best time it so that we could try and successfully have a repo baby. Um, Some other stuff that's happened um, since then, my husband and I have moved from Ohio to North Carolina. We both accepted a job with the same company. So we moved the second week of March, right before the pandemic and the shutdown. So that was fun. And so to kind of go into our rainbow pregnancy, you know, we were trying, obviously, and I was in my two-week wait right when we were about to move, like literally the week of we were moving. And I took a test the day before we moved, and it was negative. And I was, you know, pretty bummed out because I've seen so many women get positives on eight days post-ovulation and nine days post-ovulation And I'm like, man, I really thought I would at least get a slight line or something, but it was stark negative. So I'm like, okay. And my temps were starting to drop. I'm like, you know, well, maybe next month. So, you know, we get up the next morning, we drive the 10 hours down to North Carolina, we get situated in our apartment. And we start unpacking boxes over the next couple of days, but I noticed my temps started going back up. And I was like, okay, well, maybe... I should take a test one more time just to be sure. So I went through all the boxes and I finally found the box that had all my ovulation tests and my pregnancy tests. And it's like seven o'clock in the morning and I take this test and it comes up positive instantly. And I was very excited. I went running into our bedroom and started screaming at my husband that we had a positive pregnancy test, woke him up out of a dead sleep. Um. And you know, I kind of just stood there in shock. I'm like, here we go again. Like this is happening. This is our opportunity. And, you know, you you have all those excitement and butterflies in your stomach, but then instantly it gets met with that anxiety that, you know, I, I was worried about and I discussed a little bit on my first episode that, you know, once you've suffered loss, the excitement and joy of pregnancy kind of gets overshadowed by that looming fear and anxiety that something could go wrong again. And unfortunately, you know, that's the one thing that I kind of wanted to touch on with this pregnancy was that I had a really bad time with anxiety and um, a little bit of depression with this pregnancy. And it really did take away from really just being able to enjoy the fact that my daughter was going to be here and that, you know, she was okay. Instantly, you know, my head went with, well, could this be a chemical pregnancy? So I was taking pregnancy tests after pregnancy test every day, watching the line progression to make sure it was getting darker. Um, once we got to the first ultrasound, um, I was sweating profusely because I was so afraid we were going to have another blighted ovum. And so to see her come up on the little screen at six weeks and see this little heartbeat flicker was a very warming feeling for me and I started crying I was very excited but then again you know the feelings of okay everything's fine doesn't last very long Um, and then it went to okay well you know I saw a heartbeat but there's a chance that something could still go wrong Um, and then no matter how hard I tried my head always kept going back there I ended up purchasing a Doppler around 12 weeks and I was checking her heartbeat about once a week just to make sure she was still there. Um, I did a couple private ultrasounds on top of, you know, just, you know, also doing a gender reveal one at 14 weeks. I did a private ultrasound at 12 weeks and at 30 weeks just to make sure she was okay because we only got one other ultrasound, which was the anatomy scan at 18 weeks before her delivery. And finally, um, you know, my husband looked at me and he's like, this isn't normal. He's like, you're constantly freaking out. You're worried. He's like, you know, you're breaking down, crying on, on occasions about this. He's like, I really think you need to talk to somebody. And I did, I ended up starting therapy at about 23 weeks and started talking to someone weekly about my fears and the best way that I could manage them. And it helped me tremendously, honestly, I don't think I would have been able to make it through the rest of my pregnancy without therapy. Just, you know, to kind of tell someone like this is why I'm afraid try and rationalize what's going in my head and then figure out the best way to channel it. Um, We get to about 30 weeks, no, 34 weeks. And the doctor tells us that my daughter is measuring rather large. Um, She was measuring or estimating at about six pounds at 34 weeks, and they, you know, started talking to us about doing a scheduled C-section versus doing a traditional vaginal delivery, and this brought a whole new level of fear for me and for my daughter, because, you know, I asked them, I'm like, well, C-section really isn't my game plan that I really want to do. That's kind of my last resort, so, you know, talk me through why this needs to happen, and they're like, well, with her size, um, she could have some shoulder dystocia, which is when they get stuck in the birth canal because their shoulders can't get through the birth canal. And I'm like, okay, and then what happens? And she's like, well, we try and, you know, maneuver her and pull her out. Um, we might have to move your legs a certain way and push down on your stomach. Um, she's like, there's a couple different things we can try to get her out. And I'm like, and of course I shouldn't have done this to myself, but you know, wanting to know the worst case scenario at every point and turn of this pregnancy. I asked her, I'm like, what is the absolute worst case scenario that's going to happen? And ladies, I don't ever recommend that you do that. Um, she said, well, absolute worst case is she gets stuck. We can't get her out and you're going to have to go into an emergency C section where we try and push her back up through the birth canal and deliver her via C section. And I said, and how risky is this? And she's like, it's incredibly risky and it has a 50% mortality rate. And I remember my heart stopped, I was very panicked. I was like, crap. And I'm like, well, how often does that happen? And she's like, honey, I need to assure you, You know, I've been an OB for 25 years and I've never had to do that. My colleagues only had to do it once and unfortunately it was not a good outcome. So we left that appointment and I broke down crying in the car as soon as we got there because I, you know, at this point I was afraid because I'm like, I don't know what the right decision is. Like, do I try and still deliver her or do I just go C-section? And, but then, you know, she could still come out and actually be like seven or eight pounds. And, you know, because the measurements they do in ultrasounds are not always accurate. So I leaned heavily on my doctors for the remainder of the pregnancy. And I'm like, and I told them straight, I'm like, I have really bad anxiety. I'm always thinking something's going to go wrong with her. Like, I need you to direct me and tell me what I need to do so that she is delivered safely. And, uh, you know, they kind of, they were very, um, blase about it. They were just, you know, like, eh, you can try. We think she might be eight or nine pounds when she's born. Um, and worst comes to worst, we put you into a C-section. And I'm like, okay, well, we're going to try. We're going to try for vaginal. And you know, if it doesn't work, we're going to do a C-section. That's fine. So I ended up actually being induced at 39 weeks in three days. And, you know, the induction went beautifully. I dilated beautifully. Everything went great. Um, and I started pushing 24 hours later after I got induced and I made zero progress in 90 minutes. I, you know, I kept pushing, I kept trying, and the doctor came in and checked, and she's like, you've made maybe a centimeter of progress. She's like, and unfortunately, you know, I would have hoped to see you farther along than that. And at that point, I felt pretty defeated, and I remember being in a lot of pain, even for having an epidural. Like, I had the worst hip and back labor pain ever. And I just remember looking at him going, I wish I would have picked a C-section. And they're like, well, you still can. And I, you know, so we decided to call it, they stopped the Pitocin, um, and we switched it over to a C-section and she was, my daughter was born at one in the morning on November 22nd. And I'm really glad we actually did switch to a C-section. The doctor came, um, over to my head afterwards while her resident was closing. And she's like, I'm really glad we made this call. Um, when we opened you up, your daughter was looking right at us. She wasn't facing the way she needed to be facing, which was why you were having such a hard time delivering her. And of course that just kind of sent me into a panic, like, oh my God, like I could have done something horrible to my daughter if I would have just been so stubborn to keep trying to push. And you know, so I was very grateful that I switched over to a C section so that she was able to be born safely because she was nine pounds, five ounces. So she was as every bit as big as they were estimating her to be um and then pretty much everything else after that was pretty uneventful she was like I said she was born a couple of days before Thanksgiving and I remember actually waking up on Thanksgiving day and I just you know I was holding her and looking at her and I just started crying and I'm thinking we've come such a long way in a year um because it you know a year ago at Thanksgiving I was mourning the loss of our first child and You know, I was supposed to be making the announcement that Joe and I were expecting our first. Instead, we weren't able to do that. And I was watching about 10 to 15 of my friends do it on Facebook instead. And this year, literally 365 days later, I have this beautiful little girl in my arms and she's okay. And it was just a very surreal and very um, humbling feeling. And that's where we're at.
0: Awesome. I just love update episodes. It gives a little beacon of hope for all of us lamb ladies. Thank you so much for doing this. As you know, I ask at the end of every episode, if you have one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be?
1: Um, If I had, it was kind of like a two-parter. Obviously don't lose hope ladies. Um, Keep trying. You will get your rainbow one way or the other. Um, and the second piece of advice I'm going to have is for the women that are pregnant with their rainbows right now, definitely take care of yourself and your your mental state. Like I said, there's no shame in therapy. I finally went to therapy and it helped me tremendously be able to enjoy your pregnancy because if that's the one thing I can look back and regret is that I didn't get to enjoy this pregnancy because I was so filled with fear of something happening, so you know, embrace it, take it day by day, enjoy those little moments. Um, You know, the first time you hear their heartbeat, the first time you find out if they're a boy or girl, if you're going to first time you feel them kick, like embrace all of that. Because even though it's 40 weeks of pregnancy, it goes so fast. And now my daughter's almost two months old. So I mean, time's still going really fast.
0: And if somebody wants to reach out to you, Sarah, where could they do so? Um, they can reach out to me on my Instagram. I believe
1: it's Sarah underscore E underscore Zarb.
0: Okay. Awesome. And Sarah's in the life after miscarriage group too. She helps me out in there. So Sarah, thank you so much for kind of just helping a hot mess human out on a daily basis. <laughs> I appreciate
1: it. Not a problem. I honestly I don't mind at all. And it was it also helped me tremendously through my pregnancy because I honestly would look to you and I would be like, you know what? Shelly was able to keep doing these episodes, you know, with her two pregnancies. I'm like, I can do it. And it very, it very much helped me as well.
0: Oh, good. Well, I appreciate you so much. And I know everybody listening does as well. Thank you for jumping on, updating us and being vulnerable, sharing your story. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you. You have a great weekend. You too.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share your life after miscarriage story, go to ShellyMetling.com. Click on the life after miscarriage tab and add yourself right to the recording schedule. And I can't wait to chat with you soon. Next one. I'm just a little